right, well, good morning, New Covenant Church. Good morning, good Good to be with you guys today. Man, I don't know about you, but um, here in East Texas, it's been getting hot. Uh, Triple digits on the forecast almost every day. I was thinking about that this morning. Someone said, woohoo. Not me. I'm not excited about it. I'll be honest with you. Um, Some of y'all are like, in the winter, you're like, I can't wait till it gets hot. I'm like, no, we get like six weeks of cold. Let's keep the cool for just a little bit. Uh, But I was thinking this morning how grateful I am that we're able to worship God in some air conditioning, you know, as as much as I wanted to live when Jesus lived, uh, they didn't have air conditioning. So um, I'm grateful for that today. Also grateful for technology. And I want to say hello to our family who is joining us right now online, wherever you are watching from. If you're at the vacation campus, hey, we're glad to have you with us. Special shout out to Upshur County Jail. Come on, New Covenant. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. And I also want to just say uh, to all the people who are not able to be here today because you are sick. I'm hearing so many people that are getting sick lately. And I want you to know that we're praying for you. Uh, all the names that come in that, we're, that we see that are sick, we are spending time and we're praying and believing for your healing. Can't wait for you to be back with us in person. Uh, speaking of prayer, uh, this last week something happened that was kind of an answer to decades of prayer. And that was uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I know that is the fruit of a lot of prayer, decades of prayer by followers of Jesus. And, um, but as we're celebrating, I just was motivated this week to talk about how we don't need to just stop praying now. Because now is the time to really ramp up the prayer. As a lot of people who don't see things the way we see things, the, through that life is uh, at conception, are very confused. Some of them don't know what to do next. And I want to just say abortion is not a political issue. It is a biblical issue. It is a morality issue. It's an ethical issue. And so now we need to be praying more than ever for all of those ministries that are already going and are going to be birthed to help women in these situations, to help life, whether it be fostering or adopting or embrace grace, which is the ministry we have here. We need to ramp up our prayers and involvement for those ministries because I think the harvest is going to be plentiful as we move forward with people who don't know what to do next. So let's continue to pray and that, that light would continue to shine and Jesus would change a lot of people's lives. And that's what we're here to do. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in a series, or which is not a series, called Summer at New Covenant. So we say it's a series, although it's not a series. It's a series of one-off messages, or there's not a specific focus or theme to it. And so uh, it gives me an opportunity to bring in some of my friends who are speakers. You'll, you'll get to hear some of them this summer. Some of our own people will speak. I get to focus on things for the fall, logistical things, vision things. And as you know, um, a few weeks ago, I was in Israel, had the opportunity to go to Israel And I also had the opportunity to go to California with my daughter for a father-daughter camp. And in these two uh, places that I was, I was spending a lot of time in mountains. And as you know, here in East Texas, I don't know where you're watching from, but here in East Texas, we don't have mountains. I mean, we have some hills, but um, even the hills where people live with our mountains, those are actually mountains that we would call mountains. They're like, no, those are just hills. I'm like, no, hills are just like this, you know. So in East Texas, we don't really have them. So as I spent some time in the mountains, God was really showing me a lot of things about mountains and hills and some things were stirring in me that I wanted to 
talk about today because all throughout scripture, you really see the pictures of hills and mountains and valleys that represent both physical and geographical locations. In fact, Israel is marked quite a bit by mountains and valleys, but also there is spiritual significance and spiritual meanings to mountains and valleys. Mountains are uh, places to escape. Mountains are a place where the elevation changes, where it takes a little bit of work to get up there. You gotta be ready to go up. You gotta be ready to hike. It's gonna take a little bit of work to get there, but it's also a place of power when you're up there. It's a place where you feel closer to God because your elevation has actually changed a little bit, right? And so I wanna talk to you a little bit today about mountains and valleys. And as I study the scripture, they're mentioned all throughout the Bible. In fact, there are over 500 mentions in the scripture of either mountains or hills and over 30 specifically mentioned mountains by name that some incredible things happened on. And I'm just gonna mention a few of, you, few of them to you today. If you have you version, you can follow along in there. That's where you'll get to see a lot more of the notes. I'm not gonna put it all on the screen, but one place I got to actually visit was Mount Carmel. If you're familiar with scripture, and Mount Carmel is where Elijah called down fire to prove that our God was the one true God. What an incredible show of power. And then he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal on the mountain. There was Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice to be faithful to the Lord, to be obedient to God. It was also the place where Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem was on top of Mount Moriah. There's Mount Sinai. That should sound familiar to you. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments on top of the mountain. There was the Mount of Beatitudes. I got to actually go to the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus took his disciples and, and taught them some of the most powerful teachings in Scripture, which is from Matthew 5 to 7, just powerful uh, teachings for our life. But that was on the Mount of Beatitudes. Another one was Mount Tabor which you may know as Mount of Transfiguration. That's where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the mountaintop, and he transfigured into a spiritual body. It freaked them all out a little bit. Plus, Moses and Elijah showed up, and that's pretty crazy. I mean, all of us would be freaking out a little bit. And Peter, in classic Peter form, just starts stammering and stuttering, and is like, this is good, Lord. It's good that this is happening. And Let me build some tents so we can live, during the, live up here. And God speaks out and is like, essentially, Peter, be quiet. Just listen to my son, he's about to speak. But there are some powerful things that happen on the mountain and we need mountain moments in our life. And so I wanna share with you a few things from the mountain first. And as I was on the mountain, if you're taking notes, let me show you a few things that God showed me is that, first one is this, is that mountains provide perspective. When you get on the top of a mountain, you get a perspective you didn't have in the valley. In fact, in the valley, a lot of things look really big, but when you get on the mountaintop, your problems in the valley seem really small. What I noticed is that when we climbed these different mountains, the things that seemed really big to me, trees, buildings, they all of a sudden seemed really small. They seemed very tiny from the top of a mountain. Another thing, ironically, I noticed is that uh, people seem small on top of the mountain. You look back down and be like, what are those little ants moving around? Oh, those are people. Those are people. And what that showed me spiritually is that the problems that I think are so big in life are really petty compared to what God is doing in the universe. Even the people that I think are big problems in my life. Sometimes there are people in your life that you're just like, man, God, if this person was just out of my life, things would be so much better. But if you get up on the mountain, they seem pretty small in comparison to what God is doing. You just get a different perspective on the mountain you cannot have in the valley. So mountains provide perspective. And I want you to think of all of these in terms of both physical and spiritual 
analogies because you get a picture of what God is doing is so much bigger than what you're doing in the valley. Another thing that mountains provide is mountains provide vision. When you get on top of the mountain, you can see a lot further than you can see in the valley. You can see where the valley's going. You can, you can get a picture that's much bigger than you're getting now, and you see vision for the future. In fact, that's why eagles fly up near the mountains, because they have this incredible vision where they can see things they couldn't see if they're flying lower. Again, it's just a picture spiritually. Is when you get up on top of the mountain, you get a different vision than you have in the valley. You actually get to see where the valley is going that you can't see when you're in the valley. Another thing mountains provide is mountains provide hope. What do you mean hope? Well, what I found is when I ascended the mountains, uh, that the temperature changed. It got a little bit cooler. It got a little bit crisper. Uh, I got out of the heat of the valley and got into the cool air on the mountain. And, and when I was on the mountain, I was able to see other mountaintops and know that if I keep going in this valley, I'm going to get to the mountain again. And I'll get new perspective. I'll get new vision. I'll get new hope when I get to that mountaintop. I want you to think of this in terms of your spiritual walk. It's something powerful that happens when you set aside time with God to get on the mountain with him, that you get a fresh vision, you get fresh perspective, you get fresh hope for your life. You get God's picture for your life. Everything seems to come into clarity when you get on the mountain. And this picture of going to the mountain literally is a picture of being set apart, consecrating yourself away from the things that are going on in the valley and going up. That's what consecration is. That's a big word that we use in scripture, and it literally means to be set apart, to be pulled away from. We need these moments on the mountain, and one phrase that I heard when I was on one of the mountains is they said this, and I thought it was powerful, that consecration brings clarity. If you don't have clarity in your life about what's going on, you need to consecrate yourself a little bit more on the mountaintop with God. That's where you'll get the clarity that you've been needing for the issues that are going on in your life. And we need these mountaintop moments, right? There, there are moments in life. There are experiences in life. They're, they're what help us to live in the valley, but we don't live on mountains. We're not meant to live on the mountaintop. We're meant to live in the valley. But I think valleys get a bad reputation. Why? Well, I think in large part due to one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and that's Psalm 23, right? See, see y'all are already getting ahead of me on this. You know where I'm going. You're like, yeah, that's why I don't want to live in the valley. It's bad down there, right? Let me read Psalm 23 to you, and then I'll, I'm going to look at some things throughout. But Psalm 23 is a famous passage that David wrote. David was a shepherd, so he understood the role of a shepherd and the role of sheep. And this is a beautiful, powerful six verses in one chapter where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the verse everybody doesn't like. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is both a challenging and comforting scripture in one. Then it goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Everybody wants to claim this one. I like that one. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We could just read that scripture and go home. It's I could spend two, three weeks on just this scripture, but I'm not going to today. 
I'm just going to keep moving from it. But I want you to see that sandwiched right there in the middle of all of these great things that everybody was like, I'll take that. Oh, I like that. I want that one. That's for me. Is verse four, right in the middle of these six verses, right? It's the one right in the middle of the good things at the beginning and the good things at the end. And it's that verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Many translations will say, even though I walk through the valley of darkness, right? It's a picture of walking through some dark, maybe shadowy seasons in your life. And the reality is, life happens in the valley. Work happens in the valley. School happens in the valley. The everyday activities of life are not on the mountain, they're in the valley, This is where people live, and it represents so many different aspects of our life that now I want to show you some things that the valley represents in our life. And David is referencing one of them here in Psalm 23, and the valleys are places of struggle. You you just can't get away from that. If you're going to do life somewhere, you're going to struggle there. Life is full of struggle. Jesus said what? In John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer, right? I've overcome the world. He's given you hope for life in the valley, but the valley is a place of struggle. And that's what David was referring to when he said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I want you to notice this is a place he's walking. In those days, the roadways were through the valleys. Even when I was in Israel, you could see that everybody traveled through the valleys. We didn't travel over the mountains until they had cars, really. But they traveled through the valleys quite a bit. This is where people would walk. And he's referencing something that maybe you've heard about in other places of Scripture, like where Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, who was walking along a roadway, and the man was jumped and robbed. Because in the shadowy places in the valley, in the roadways, people, dangerous people would hide out and jump out. And, and attack you and rob you. So it's a, it's a potentially a dangerous place, which represents, it's just a place of struggle in life. We're going to go through difficult seasons. In fact, there are battles that took place in the valley. When you read the Old Testament, there are so many places where battles are mentioned with specific valley names that they were fought in. One of the most famous ones is in 1 Samuel 17, in the valley of Elah, where the Philistines were opposing God's uh, children and, and, and mocking God And that's where David shows up on the scene and Goliath is there. He defeats Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Again, battles happen in the valley. Struggles happen in the valley. I was thinking about when I was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody knows about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed before going to the cross. And the Garden of Gethsemane is in a valley right at the base of Jerusalem. And and as I was sitting there looking up to Jerusalem where Jesus was going to go, I thought about how the struggles that happened even with Jesus there in that valley. There was a physical struggle and a spiritual struggle going on. He sweat drops of blood because of his physical anguish about what he was coming to, but there was a spiritual struggle with, Lord, if there's any other way, take it away from me. But he was still obedient in the middle of that struggle. It's a, it's a place of struggle. And I, I know that we don't want that, but the reality is, is we're all going to walk through some dark seasons in our life. We're all going to walk through some valleys that seem like the shadow of the mountain is blocking our view of the sun. And when we're in that shadow of the mountain and you're in the valley, it's cold. It feels dark. It feels alone. And I just want to encourage you that what David said in that passage is meant to be an encouragement for us that God is still with us in the valley. He said that even though I'm walking there, I don't have to be afraid because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it's in that same place in the valley that God 
that God provides for you. What did he say? You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. That even though when I'm being attacked, even though there's struggle in the valley, there's still provision in the valley. In fact, that's one of the main things that I saw about valleys. That Valleys are a place of provision. Yeah, there's the struggles of life there, but God also provides in the middle of your struggles. If you read and you look, read through scripture and you look even in the natural sense, there is a lot of provision that came in valleys. David is actually writing this from a valley in Psalm 23. And what did he say at the beginning? He said, you lead me to, you make me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures aren't on the mountain. Green pastures are in the valley. You lead me beside still waters. Still waters are in the valley. They're not on the mountaintop. In fact, where he wrote Psalm 23 is a place called En Gedi. And, and there's this valley in En Gedi that I got to visit when I was in Israel. And it is like a desert all around. But this one little valley here, there's like a waterfall coming out of the side of the mountain. And it is just lush and green. And this is where David wrote Psalm 23. It's where he hid out from Saul. And he's writing from this place where God has provided a waterfall and green grass and trees. And it's just another picture that even in the valley seasons of our life, there is great provision. You can follow this in, in you version, but let me just reference several places in scripture where it talks about that. Deuteronomy 8 says that there are streams in the valley where food is plentiful. 1 Samuel 6 speaks to how we harvest grain in the valley, wheat in the valley. This is the picture of sowing and reaping happens in the valley. Psalm 65 says that the valleys are covered with your grain. Genesis 26 that we referenced in the last series, Old Wells Fresh Water, talks about how Isaac was digging wells of fresh water in the valley of Gerar. Numbers 13, this is a great one here, where the children of Israel were sent out, the 10 spies were sent out to check out the promised land. You remember this story? What did they come back with? They came back with this giant stalk of grapes that was so big they had to carry it on a pole between two men. That was in the valley of Eshkol. Those grapes came from the valley. This is another picture of how there is great provision in the valley. God will always provide what we need in the valley. The promised land was a, a place of valleys. Yeah, it had hills, but it was valleys where things were growing in lush and green. And that's just to me a reminder that even though that we go through struggles in life, God will always provide for what we need in the valley. But another thing that I saw is to enjoy the provision in the valley, we need the mountains. In fact, uh, I would put it this way, what happens on the mountain affects what happens in the valley, both physically and spiritually. I saw these snow-capped mountains, but everything else around it, it was not cold, it was warm. And I'm like, how, are that, how, how does that still have snow? And they were telling me that it snows and it rains in certain seasons on the mountain and it freezes. And in the right time, as the sun begins to melt it, the water flows down the mountain to provide water in the valley at the right times. It's a part of the way God even created the earth. And it shows the picture of what he's doing spiritually. Psalm 104 actually references this. Look at this passage. You make springs pour water into the ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals and all the wild donkeys that quench their thirst. It goes on to say, 
The birds nest beside streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. There's this picture that God is what, who makes it rain on the mountain and it flows down into the valley to provide life in the valley. There's a spiritual picture here that what we get on the mountain with God helps provide for our life in the valley. The glory of our experiences with God on the mountain are to carry us through the difficult seasons in the valley. They're to provide strength for us in the valley. But it's not just for you, it's for everyone around you in the valley. Remember Moses mentioned he went to Mount Sinai? He went up into the glory and the power of God. Mount Sinai, when he went up the mountain, was covered with smoke and fire and lightning. And he went into the presence of God. And what did God give him? He gave him the Ten Commandments, who he brought down for the people in the valley. It's another picture of what God gives us on the mountain is for people in the valley. And how I thought about that for you and I is that what happens with you in your time with God on the mountain affects your kids in the valley. What happens with you on the mountaintop with God will affect your marriage in the valley. It affects your coworkers in the valley. It affects how you live every day in the valley. It's important that we understand that what happens on the mountain is needed for the valley. That's why you have to have these regular times on the mountain. So not only are they places of struggle, but they're places of provision, which should give us hope today. And the last thing I want to show you about valleys is that valleys are places of decision, It's where we make the decisions of life every day. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, well, I'm just in the valley of decision. Has anybody ever heard that? I'm just in the valley of decision right now. And they're they're referencing the fact that they're trying to make a decision between something. And the only place in scripture that the valley of decision is actually referenced is in Joel 3, but it's more referring to God's judgment. But you can see all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where they, the children of Israel had to make decisions in the valley. They had to make important decisions. And one specific place of that was in Deuteronomy chapter 11, where Moses was challenging them and saying, listen, you've got a decision to make, whether you're going to follow the commands of the Lord or not, whether we're going to get to the promised land or not. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says this in verse 26. This is what Moses says to them. Look. Today, I'm giving you the choice between blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And it goes on to say, but you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from him and worship gods you have not known before. There's this picture here where they're standing in a valley, actually. Greg and Sarah Williams, who were with us a couple of months ago, they are missionaries to Israel. They live in Israel. And they were telling me that at this place where they were having to make this decision, they're actually standing between two mountains. There's the mountain of Gerzim, which is the mountain of blessing, and the mountain of Ebal, which is called the mountain of cursing. And when they're being... Uh, proposed by this, by Moses is saying, you've got to make a choice whether you're going to follow God's command and receive a blessing or not and follow the cursing. They're standing between these two mountains. What a visual. And the mountain of blessing actually had vegetation on it. And the mountain of cursing was dry and rocky and there was no life on it. And there's this picture that we have, we stand in the valleys of life having to make a decision whether we're going to follow the commands of God and be prosperous and blessed or we're going to make a decision to go away from what we've been taught in the word. And then that's the mountain of cursing. And I just thought about in our life how we're faced with these decisions all the time in the valley. We're faced with decisions of where to go and what to do and really what kind of person we're going to be. 
Are you going to be a person of character and integrity in the valley? Are you going to be a person who follows the commands of God and is a person of character at your work and is not stealing time and money from the business? Are you going to be a person of character and integrity in your home and be faithful in your marriage? Are you going to be a, a person of integrity that when you go around people who live in darkness, you, you make a decision, I'm going to be a light by following the commands of our God. You have that decision every day in the valley. And that determines where you go. That determines whether there's going to be a blessing on your life or you don't live under the blessing of God. This is why we need the mountaintop experiences every day. Because we get perspective on the mountain for the decisions in the valley. We get vision on the mountain for decisions in the valley. We get hope on the mountain to keep going in the valley and keep obeying God's command when we don't know for sure what's going to happen if we do it. This is the importance of having both. And just like Psalm 23 said, he said, even though I walk through the valley, I don't have to be afraid because you're with me. You're with me. That's when you make decisions knowing that God is with you. See, this is why we need both. Now, let's say it this way, that we enjoy his presence on the mountaintop. You need that. But we learn to trust him in the valley. How do we learn? We learn to trust that what he said on the mountain is still true in the valley. What he showed us in our time with God is still true when I'm out in the real world, right? What, what, what I know to be true when I'm at church and experience his presence and hearing the word of God is still true when I'm faced with that decision at work, whether to compromise or not. That's when you learn to trust. Do I trust God or not? That's why you need the mountaintop. So you learn to trust in the valley. That's where it's really formed. It's easy to trust him here. We're all surrounded by a bunch of people who are like-minded and they're serving the Lord. It's difficult to trust them when you're out there and you have to make a decision that's going to choose one thing or another. And you don't always know. But when you get back up to the mountain, you'll get back perspective on that decision that you're making in the valley. It's such a beautiful picture. And I just want to encourage you today that we're, you're going to go through different valley seasons. Valleys of plenty. And we love those valleys. They're like the promised land where we're carrying giant grapes around and like, look at what God's doing in my life. You know, we love that right? That's why everybody was like, that's my, I want that. I want the table. I want, you know, I want all that in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy to follow me. But we're also going to walk through valleys like David mentioned, where it feels shadowy, where it feels like we're struggling, where it feels like we're in a battle. We're going to go through valleys that, that we have to make some tough decisions that are going to determine our future, really, and the future of our family, if we're going to follow God or not. That's why we have to have these regular times with God. And I was talking to someone just this last week, and I said, How, how's life going? And their answer was, it's just meh. Like, it's just meh. You know, not great, not bad, just meh. And because I'd been thinking about mountains and valleys, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, you're in the valley of meh. <laughs> we all walk through the valley of meh. And I feel like, actually, that's where most people are right now. Most people are in the valley of meh where they have no hope, there's really no excitement about life, they're just going through the struggles and the routines of life, and everything feels dry. The Valley of Meh is a dry place. And it made me think about a verse in Psalm 84, verse 5, that says this. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. I'll get to that in just a minute. Look at the next verse. When they walk through the valley of weeping, many of your translations will say the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca was a dry valley, and the reason they call it the valley of weeping is not because people would always cry through this valley, but because the trees that grew in this dry valley, they bent over and looked like they were weeping. They just were kind of sagging, just kind of, 
You know, and that's, that's this picture here that even in the dry places, in the, the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. And then it goes on in verse 7 to say, they will continue to grow stronger. And each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. This is a powerful picture because around Jerusalem, there are many dry valleys, There are lots of valleys around Jerusalem that that people would have to go through on their way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is uphill. It's on the top of a mountain. The, The trek to Jerusalem is an uphill trek. And what this scripture is referencing is that the the people of God, the children of Israel, would regularly have to make this trek to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. And they would go to worship God there. They would go to make their sacrifices there. That's where the presence of God dwelt. It was an uphill climb. And they would have to go through this valley. In fact, in Psalms, you can read several Psalms toward the end of the Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascents. It's what they would sing as they ascended the hill of Jerusalem. And this picture is... That even though you may be in a dry valley right now, if you've set your mind on God, if you've set your mind on going to the mountain, if your trek is uphill to be with God, he's going to make even the dry places in your life streams of water. He will send the autumn rains to refresh you even in the valleys of men. But it's because their minds are set on Jerusalem. That's a spiritual and figurative place as well. It's a literal place, Jerusalem, but for us it represents going up to the hill of God, to the mountain of God. It's our trek through life. Jerusalem is also heaven in the scripture. A new Jerusalem is Zion. It's this picture that even though we're in this dry valley, that if you keep your eyes on God, if you keep looking up, if you keep going up the mountain, he will provide what you need in the valley, even water in the dry seasons. David said, even though I go through the valley, you're going through it, you're going through it. It's not the resting place. It's a part of the journey. And even though it feels like meh right now, you keep going to the mountain, I promise you the rain is going to come. He'll provide what you need in the valley. And he'll remind you, listen, the goal is not to get out of the valley. The goal is to get the right perspective on the valley. The goal is to get the strength that we need for the valley, to get the wisdom that we need for the valley, to learn to trust God better in the valley. As I was in Israel recently, I was thinking about all the different mountains and hills that were there, but one hill stood out to me the most. One hill was the most powerful to me, and that was the hill of Golgotha. It's the place of the skull. It's the place where our Savior was crucified on the cross, and it's on the top of a hill where everybody could see. And every time I think about him on that hill, I'm reminded of the sacrifice that he made for me, the sacrifice that he made so that I could be free, that he would take the burdens of my life away. And Recently, when I was with my daughter at this camp, we went to a father-daughter camp, and they had, there was a mountain right there that, that had a cross at the very top of the mountain. And from the valley, it seemed so small. But one day, we did this thing called the cross hike. And we all walked up this mountain to get to the cross. By the way, when we got there, the cross was huge. Again, another picture of what you see in the valley is not true when you get to the, to the mountain. But at the base of the mountain... They said, why don't you pick up a rock? Why don't you pick up a stone? Why don't you pick up a, a, a piece of wood or something and, and carry it up to the top? And so we all, not knowing what we were doing, were picking up a rock. And some people were not smart and picked up big rocks. And I was one of those people. Um, no, it wasn't huge, but it was, you know, it was a decent size. It, was, it wasn't a pebble. 
And as I, as I went up the mountain, we, we stopped and talked about different things along the way. But when we got to the top, what we were carrying was pretty heavy, no matter how big or how small it was. It was a burden at that point. And they said, at the top of the mountain, I want you to name that rock. I want you to name that stone. I want you to name it a burden you're carrying, whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's fear, whether it's insecurity, whatever it may be, name that rock. So we all named that rock and we had a time where they, we left it at the foot of the cross or we, we tossed it off the mountain. We said, we're leaving this with God. We're not gonna take this back down the mountain. And to me, that was a picture of how you and I will pick up things in the valley that we weren't meant to carry, but they get heavy through life. And when we get up to the mountaintop. We're not supposed to carry it back down the mountain. We're supposed to leave it at the mountaintop. Listen, today, I know some of you are walking through some difficult valleys. Some of you have been picking up some difficult things. And if you're struggling in the valley today, if you're carrying around anxiety, if you're carrying around depression, if you're carrying around fear, if you're carrying around the difficulties in your marriage or financial issues or the worry about your kids, whatever burden it is that you're carrying around today, I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Look at what he said. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So what I wanna to do today is while we're here in the presence of God, while we're here on the mountain, if you will, in the seat pocket in front of you, if you're on the front row, it's behind you. There are no cards. And we're gonna go back into worship in a minute. But what I want you to do is if you're carrying a burden, I want you to write that down on that note card. And while we worship, I want you, if you have the liberty to come and leave it on the altar, symbolizing that you're leaving this burden with God. Not just today, but every day you go to the mountain with God, you need to remind yourself, I'm not carrying this back out to the valley today. I need to receive from God and I can't receive if I'm still carrying this burden. And so today when we worship and pray, write down a burden, whatever it may be, come and leave it on the altar and let's walk out of here a little bit lighter today, amen. Would you stand with me? And I want to lead you in a time of prayer, and then we're going to worship. And if you're online, you do the same thing. Write it down, leave it somewhere, type it in the chat, message one of us so we can pray for you. But let's go to the Lord. God, we thank you that we can come in your presence and worship you and experience, God, these, these mountaintop moments together as a family in your presence today, God. I thank you for what you did on the cross, Lord, on that hill called Golgotha, Lord. That you took my sin, you took my shame, you took my burdens. That I don't have to walk in the valley with these burdens today, God. And I pray for every single person here, Lord, who's in that valley of meh or is in that valley of struggle today, God. I pray that you would release those burdens from them. That they would leave them at your feet and walk out of here with the tools they need to live in the valley tomorrow, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's worship together. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.